0: Hello everyone, welcome to The View from the Clock End podcast, your daily, weekly, should I say, Arsenal way podcast and of course I'm joined by Kaya Kainak, just to talk about everything Arsenal, especially what has happened in the past week. Kaya, how are you mate?
1: I'm okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit tired after the travelling yesterday, it's been a, another long week for Arsenal, you know, lots of games to cover but you know we enjoy that, that's the, the part of the job that's definitely the best bit and... It's a shame the Arsenal winning run came to an end. It sort of feels like a bit of a defeat. I think it's important to remember it wasn't. It was obviously only a draw, but we're gonna we're gonna use this as a bit of catharsis. I think just to get the the bad vibes out of our system and uh, start feeling good
0: again going into the midweek fixtures. Absolutely, absolutely. How was the? Of course, you was at the ground at St Mary's. Just how was the vibe before, during, and after? Was there was there a change in atmosphere almost towards the end of the game when the winning run finally, unfortunately, come to an end.
1: Yeah, um, at the start it was it was it was quite weird actually. So, um, St Mary's they do before the game they have this uh, marching band that goes around the pitch, but the atmosphere was deadly quiet around St Mary's. I think they're on a bad run of form. I know they won in midweek, but they had a lot of injuries. I don't think they were expecting much, and it sort of felt a bit like a funeral procession. Like they they were all very quiet, very downbeat, and all you could hear was Arsenal fans for the first half an hour it was just Arsenal singing chants nonstop. They were. They were the voice inside the stadium that's where all the noise was coming from it was sort of it was it was remarkable and then suddenly in this funeral home of a, of a stadium arsenal conspired to breathe life into this southampton team who yeah sorry to keep using morbid imagery but they looked dead dead <laughs> and buried like they 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 did not look like they had a hope and uh, i'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more but the the arsenal just conspired to allow them back in and it's it's probably the most frustrating bit about the game for me is the way that arsenal handed the initiative to southampton having started so well and created so many chances but no the vibe uh the vibe inside the stadium was was it was it was quiet arsenal were definitely on top they were definitely in terms of the the, the battle between the fans they were winning that despite being severely outnumbered and yeah it was it was a shame
0: yeah, of course. It was Arsenal fans, the away crowd. Anyway, I've always been. You can hear them, and I'm watching the game. Of course, doing a shift on 4 football. London at home, you can see the Arsenal fans always probably louder than a home crowd, which has been great to great to hear this season. But let's talk about matters on the pitch, Kyle. We spoke, of course, spoke about the draw. But for you, what was the main reason why Arsenal couldn't take home three points? I can pick out it could it could have been complacency when we took the lead, a lack of goal scoring chances. Uh, not finishing our chances, or potentially just a lack of concentration at the at the important moments.
1: Yeah, I'm going to slide over the fact that you've just slagged off the the home fans inside the Emirates there. With <laughs> the, the away fans are far better. <laughs> sorry, we'll let that slide. We'll let that slide. <laughs> um, refocusing. Um, yeah, what what caused the decay? It was it was really weird. It sort of came out of nowhere. It was like Arsenal. They went 1-0 up and then they suddenly started, I think, playing with their food a bit. They, they felt, I think, a bit too confident. I think you're right, a bit of complacency maybe settled in. And when you start that fast and you you fall off a little bit, it's really hard to then get going again. And Arsenal, historically this season, have started really fast, dropped off a little bit, and then come back out again in the second half, firing. And two games now, I think Gabriel Jesus mentioned this in his um, post-match interview, where they've, they've started well but not been able to sustain it in games they got away with it last week and obviously they didn't get away with it this time simple things like the the passing just suddenly wasn't as crisp as it was in the opening minutes the Arsenal were pressing really high and winning the ball back early on they couldn't continue doing that and that became a real problem and Southampton I think noticed it of course they made a change they they started off with a 4 which was I think pretty disastrous for them because Arsenal were just allowing to <coughs> Arsenal were just allowed to play straight through it but um they switched to a 3 five, 2 they locked down the middle and Arsenal couldn't play straight through the middle anymore and that became a real problem for them and in the absence of that, Arsenal really struggled um, to create consistent chances after around the half hour mark and Southampton came into it, they started attacking more and as I said, the, the stadium sort of started to believe and I think all of that conspiring just meant that Arsenal began to drop into their shells and the causation behind it is a difficult one to put a finger on one particular thing. I, I personally think the whole Thursday-Sunday thing probably played a part. Um Obviously, Europa League is draining and lots. I think it was five of the 11 played against uh, PSV, started against PSV. So what, Jesus, Xhaka, uh Gabriel, Tom Yasu, and and uh, Saka. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of players involved in two games across two weeks. I think Gabriel Martinelli wasn't fully fit. Uh, he was struggling with illness all week. Jesus um, looked a little bit off again. Uh, plenty of players, <clears throat> sorry, dealing with injuries, and when you have that, and you sort of you have the relatively small squad that Arsenal have, that becomes a bit of a problem. And after the game, Mikel Arteta wouldn't have it as an excuse. He was he was very keen to point out that they they started off really strongly, and if they finished their chances, it wouldn't have been an issue. And that's probably a fair point, but. The whole Thursday Sunday thing for me was a big reason why they struggled to to go again, and I, I think that was yeah that was the main issue as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think we did look leggy uh in the second half, as you said, as you mentioned, the first half passes were working, and sudden, suddenly in the second half, passes were looking sloppy. Shots wasn't going in. There was no link up play really. This looked like a team who was tired, and I think that was evidence of of Thursday. But I do want to pick out one player in particular, Kaya. That's Gadro Jesus now. When Gabriel Jesus first came into the club, the first few games, people were calling him the re- reincarnation of Ronaldo, R9 Ronaldo, the new Thierry Henry. Suddenly, the last few games, Jesus' goals have dried up ever so ever so slightly. Of course, he's been still, I feel like he's still been ever-present in the build-up play, but his, his clinical nature in front of goal has almost started to, to wave away a little bit, and fans have started to pick up on that. Is that a worry, Kaya, or is it just natural? Gabriel Jesus isn't going to score in every game. Who was, was calling him R9? Is that, is that you? Is it this me. the? It was me. Okay.
1: <laughs> I was wondering who this, uh, this groundswell of Arsenal fans calling him R9 is. Okay, fair enough. I, I, I kind of get what you mean in terms of the whole dribbling thing. He's phenomenal close control and he's finishing with confidence. And, yeah, I see a player there who is a little bit maybe struggling with his confidence. And it seemed that he was getting more and more frustrated with each missed chance over the weekend. And that became a real problem. For Arsenal, I think he started snatching at chances. I think specifically of that volley where Erdegaard sort of scoops the ball over to him, and he's got a chance on the volley. It's not that much time, but if he just focuses a little bit on placement, it's easy for me to say I'm I'm terrible at football, but you know I'm telling a professional footballer how to finish. But if he focuses a bit more on where he's putting it, then there's a lot of goal to aim at. Bazunu does well to come out and block it, but he probably should be taking that chance. And I think Jesus is in a, a weird spot at the minute where. He's obviously a leader within this Arsenal team and we've all been praising him for the high standards that he sets. And I think after that Leicester game, there was that story of he scored two, but was frustrated that he didn't score three or four when in the dressing room. And I think that's something we've all praised him for. So for us to now criticise him for getting frustrated at not scoring goals and not taking every chance would be a little bit hypocritical. So I'm not going to do that. But I, I think this particular point of the season for Jesus is, is quite interesting because he's got, The world cup coming up and obviously wasn't involved in the brazil squad in the last international break and you do wonder is that perhaps playing a part for him he's obviously got that psychological weight on him and personally for jesus obviously he'll want to get into the squad and go to the world cup as every professional player does and every brazilian in particular really does but in russia 2018 he he came under a lot of criticism after that tournament because of the fact that he was Brazil's number nine and failed to score a World Cup, and some of that criticism was, was really harsh. And I think he sort of fell out of love—well, not fell out of love, but him and the Brazil national team sort of had a, a bit of an uncoupling, as uh, sort of celebrities seem to say when they well, break up these days—a conscious uncoupling. And they, they've been getting back together a bit more. And Jesus has been playing a bit more for Brazil recently, and obviously since coming to to Arsenal, that seems to it would it should probably have bolstered his chances of making the World Cup given that he's playing week in, week out but I do wonder if maybe the pressure he's putting on himself to to take every chance because that Brazil forward line is so well stacked I wonder if maybe that is something that's is playing into the sort of the 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 I guess the increased pressure he's putting on himself in front of goal and yeah it's, it's an interesting thing just to think about you know he's, he's someone who deals with adversity well he's dealt with problems throughout his Arsenal career he's dealt with problems throughout his entire career and he's come from a a team with a champions mentality at Manchester City so I don't expect him to hang around for ages feeling sorry for himself and his post-match interview after the game suggested that wouldn't be what he'd be doing so you'd think he'll rediscover the scoring touch soon if he keeps getting in the right positions that old cliche you know if you get in the positions eventually you'll score but it's, it's interesting to sort of think about that psychological element when it comes to Jesus and is the whole brazil thing weighing heavy on his shoulders does he feel that he needs to do that extra bit that maybe he didn't feel at the start of the season because i look at that leicester goal for example at the start of the season the, the first one the one where he chips danny ward and i can't see him scoring that goal right now because the levels of confidence the levels of self-belief the levels of clarity in front of goal that you need to be able to pull off a, a shot like that i don't think he's got it at this moment in time And I, I wonder if maybe Maybe the the barren run in front of goal, but also maybe the the pressure of wanting to do well before the World Cup is is a reason for that.
0: Yeah, is this is this a long term worry? Okay, I know the World Cups come around every every four years, but just looking ahead, of course, Gabriel Jesus right now for Arsenal, he's competing with strikers such as Harry Kane, Erling Haaland, who are just they score goals even sometimes when they're out of form. If Gabriel Jesus is currently out of form. Is this, is this a long-term worry for Arsenal? Because I was reading tweets from Manchester City fans, for example, and they were saying that this was the issue with Gabriel Jesus at Manchester City, why he wouldn't always play as a number nine, because it was the consistency and his, and his and his self-belief of being able to lead the line for Manchester City. I know you mentioned with the uncoupling, would you like to say, of Brazil, it kind of relates to, to, a Manchester, to a Manchester City as well. But for Arsenal, is this something long-term we should look at, or do you think is this is just a, an isolated moment and he'll get back to back to Ryan on all cylinders again, and we really should put Nip it in the bud when he does score uh, another goal.
1: Maybe. It's, it's really hard to say. I, I don't think it's um, necessarily a huge issue. And I do think you have to look to other areas of the team that goals have to come from everywhere mm-hmm. on the pitch. And, you know, Granite Jack is doing his bit at the minute, but Kaya has been doing his bit over the past few weeks. And there's plenty of other players. Erdogan had chances. I think Martinelli had a chance. And Jesus isn't the only one who was wasteful in front of goal yesterday. But I do agree he's, he's a player who's been brought in to score these goals for Arsenal and that's that's his job. He is the, the goal scorer in this team so if he's not scoring and he's not being, being able to finish that is a concern and at Manchester City is consistently underperformed his xG, so that is a bit of a worry but at the same time you can't just focus with Jesus on the goals because you have to factor in everything he has to the team in terms of the build-up and if you look at what Alex Lacazette was doing last season. You compare that to what Jesus is doing; it's, it's night and day. So he does so much away from goal scoring that you can kind of forgive him for having a few off days. And, and look, this 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 barren run we're calling it, this this drought in front of goal. It's four games. It's not a particularly yeah. long amount of time. And you know, if he scores a midweek against PSV or scores next week against Forest at home, which he, you know you back him to do against an opposition like that, we're all no longer talking about it. And I think just I wouldn't get too concerned just yet. For me, there's not a big enough sample size to be able to say, you know, should Arsenal be panicking over Jesus' lack of form for a goal? But I think it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. And if he continues to struggle in front of goal, you you, you wonder, you know, what are the options? Eddie and Ketia off the bench missed a big chance yesterday. Um, there are players like him who probably need to be contributing more. And Arsenal do want to add more firepower. Mikel Arteta said that in the summer. He said he wants to add more firepower before, obviously, injuries took their toll and Arsenal had to refocus their deadline they proceed onto a midfielder so it's clear they want to add in those positions and I, I think you know giving Jesus a little bit more support up front is going to be big
0: Yeah yeah I completely agree with you there but Kaya one thing we might not agree on which uh f- regular readers of Football at London can find out our article is out now we debated the left back situation at Arsenal with Takiro Tomiyasu and Kieran Tini of course in the last three Premier League games Takiro Tomiyasu has started at left back but I think in the last game has really caused to stir up a little bit of a debate. Can Takiro Tomoyasu be the long-term option there with Kieran Tierney on the bench, of course? Kaya, what, what side of the defence are you on? Kieran Tierney or, or, or Takiro Tomoyasu to, to um, remain? Team elective. Tierney.
1: Team Tierney for me. I know you're Team Tommy. I'm yeah. interested to see... Uh, well, I mean, obviously, FL readers go check it out on the article, but I'm interested to hear uh, what your defensive Team Tommy is, what your, what your argument is.
0: Yeah, so I've just gone with the fact that, look... We have three Premier League games, three Premier League games remaining until the World Cup break. One of one of those games is against Chelsea away from home. And another is against Wolves away from home. Now, when I look at Chelsea, Stamford Bridge, twelve PM away from home. It's not a nice picture. And I want my defense to be resilient. I don't want I don't want to see too many uh fullback overlapping runs. And I think Takiri Tomiasu suits that system perfectly. We saw it from Mohamed Salah when he was just sat just to deal with the threat of Liverpool. And I want him to do the same with Chelsea. I know Raheem Sterling could be on that side, for example. I know Aubameyang might want to peel off to the to the back post and Tomiyasu is natural to dealing with that. So I'd like to, Tomiyasu to start in that game. And then I think of Wolves, with uh, their probably biggest threat is Adama Chayore on the right-hand side. And I'd rather have Tomiyasu than Tini or if Sinchenko is back, let's say, for example. So there's two out of three games there where I'd rather start Tomiyasu. I think in the Forest would make sense to start Kirin Tini. However, I wouldn't want the consistent uh, in and out of the team. In the Premier League team, I wanted to keep it the same. And for that reason, I'd have Tomiyasu just until the World Cup break and then we reassess. But what what are your thoughts on that? Hugo, you'll still be with Team Tierney.
1: Yeah, I'm still Team Tierney, I think. Um, I, I think that's a really good argument, actually. And I hadn't thought about it like that. So I'll, I'll give you props. You've, you've, made, you've you. made me think about it. And I think <laughs> that's a, it's, it's sort of a side to it. I wasn't I wasn't thinking about when, when I look at it, I look at sort of what, Arteta feels Tomiassi brings to the team. And I think maybe the reason he's been favoured in these past couple of games is because he feels that Tomiassi is better equipped to sort of replicate that Zinchenko role where he comes in, almost stands on the centre circle and helps build up play that way. I think obviously his two-footedness is a big factor in that. He's very good on the ball. He's a good passer. Tierney is obviously very left-footed because he's a standard left-back and he's not as slick on the ball. So, from that perspective, you, you understand, and Tierney's natural game is overlapping, attacking sort of what a traditional uh, wing back would do. And he doesn't, you know, he can do the inverted role. He did it last season a little bit when Cedric was in the team. And, you know, if it's called upon, he, he can do it. But it's not his forte. And you don't, you don't want Tierney just tucked in. You want him attacking as much as possible if he can. So, if that's the way Arteta wants to play it, I understand it. And I think you could argue that Granite Xhaka, um, I went into listen in the talking points piece from this morning, if anyone wants to check it out when they get to the end of this podcast, but um, there's a bit more depth there. But you could argue that Granite Xhaka doesn't score the goal he scores if he's not got the defensive cover of Tomiyasu tucking in behind him. He doesn't get forward in the way he does. And when Tierney's in the team, Xhaka has to hang back a little bit more to sort of cover for him on that left-hand side. And you, you sort of maybe Arteta's thinking, you know, do I want to change too many things? Do I want to alter too many things? And especially things that have been working with Granite Jackers' late runs. Do you want to alter that? Do you want to change it? And I think that's probably a fair argument. What I'd say and the reason I'm still Team Tierney is because I think I was actually sat quite close to the Southampton analysts at the uh, the game yesterday. And I could hear them talking about Tommy Asu and he was a trigger for their press. And Southampton pushed him towards the touchline, and when they got him there, they forced him onto his left foot. Now, he's a good short pass with his left foot, but when it comes to you know whipping balls down the line to Martinelli to set him free, which is kind of his only option in that position, he's obviously not as good because it's his weak foot, and that's understandable. Tierney would have dealt with that better, and I thought Tierney's direct threat against Southampton, which showed when he came on, would have been a bit more effective for me so i think you look forward into those games against uh forest chelsea and wolves that you mentioned you can talk about the defensive side of things but i see spaces in behind the chelsea wing back that you can attack with a player like kieran tierney i see spaces in behind the Wolves wing back that you can attack and forest player back three as well most of the time if i'm not mistaken so a player like tierney makes sense to me in games like that you know i also think it's worth considering do you risk losing tierney mentally if you don't play him because He's someone who has been the undisputed first choice at Arsenal more or less his entire career at the club, and now suddenly he finds himself third choice because Tomiyasu and Zinchenko are both ahead of him. It's clear that when Zinchenko comes back in, he's the number one. So Tommy Asu is now ahead of him in the pecking order. And if you're Kieran Tierney, as much as he's a professional and you know, I, I expect him to to deal with it in the right way. It'd be impossible for him not to think, you know, what am I doing here? If I'm third choice, I need to move on. I need to go somewhere else. And I think that's a real risk for Arsenal. They obviously signed him to a new long term contract. That's so that, in terms of that, they're financially protected. But he's on big wages, and you want to be using a player like that if you can. And I'm sure Arteta would say there'll be different games where Tierney would be more useful for certain fixtures. And, you know, sometimes Tommy Asse makes sense. Sometimes Tierney makes more sense. But I personally think it's time to bring him in. I've not been too impressed with what I've seen from Tommy Asse at left back. I still think Tommy Asse is a really good player, by the way. And yeah. I, I'd love to see him in the team. But. I just don't think left-back is the, the place to play, him, particularly when you've got Kieran Tierney fit and in decent form as well. I don't think Tierney's played badly in, in many of the games he's played this season. So I think it's it's worth bringing back in, um, certainly for PSV, and then probably for Nottingham Forest as well next week.
0: Yeah, it is interesting you say that with Tierney, of course. He hasn't been in bad form. I agree with you. But Kai, what do you think the trigger point was for for Mika Arteta to suddenly put Tomiesa left-back? Because I think at the start of the season, the talk was... Is it Sinchenko or Tini a left-back? Is it Ben White's dominance on the right-hand side that Mikhail Arteta feels he needs to have Tomiyasu in the team, but the way to put him in is on the left-hand side? Do you think Ben White is playing a part, or is it just simply Mikhail Teta has lost trust somehow in KT? I
1: don't think he's lost trust in him. I just think he, the reason that I outlined at the start of the answer is sort of him feeling he's a bit better in build-up and can tuck in a little bit better. I think that's just what he chose Tomiyasu for, and that makes sense to me. I personally think you, you don't gain as much as Mikel Arteta seems to be thinking that he gains um, by playing Tomiyasu. Ben White's an interesting one. I, I don't think he's playing Tomiyasu because he feels he has to play him or he feels he has to shoehorn him into the team. Mikel Arteta doesn't seem like that type of manager to me. And if he was, then you know he probably would have played Tomiyasu centre-back earlier in the season when Saliba was um, unfit uh sorry when saliba was coming in hadn't really proved himself yet so there's plenty of uh ways that you could have got Tommy yasser into the team I, I don't quite think that's the case in terms of trying to shoehorn him into to accommodate ben white i just think that it's all about the build up with Arteta and what they do in possession and how they try and affect the opposition and while i think it works against liverpool and i think it was a really smart move to try and stop Mohammed salah i don't think it, it necessarily has to be the case going forward in every single game now that tommy actually continues to play and I would be a bit surprised if we see uh, Tierney not starting against Nottingham Forest.
0: Yeah, I do think that on the Forest is a shoehorn for Tierney just on the attacking side of things. I just don't know beyond that, but uh, we shall see. It's interesting you mentioned uh, William Sliba there, Kaya. Um, just going back to the defence, staying on the defence, sorry. Uh, recently, I've noticed a bit of a dip in Sliba's performances. Of course, I think he's had 10-10s uh, throughout, throughout the season. But in the last couple of games, he's shown a bit of, maybe immaturity for what's expected for his age. And I know you're smiling there, Kai, because I know you're going to reference our uh, <laughs> on the Arsenal way a few weeks back when I spoke about Gabriel Maguire and him potentially being a bit of a liability with his mistakes. However, I must admit, in the last few weeks, I think he's been Arsenal's best defender and I think he's been absolutely dominant in the back line. He's shown why he is the leader. But he's still coming under criticism from pundits such as Jamie Reddap on Sky Sports who is still labelling him as the liability and the player to get at in Arsenal's defence. But is he right, Kyle? Radnapp's not right. Surely, surely not.
1: No, he's not. Uh, In in short answer to your question, I I think I I get it. And I I get why you'd you'd think that, but um, because he's made some mistakes this season. But at the same time, if you just focus on his mistakes, you ignore absolutely everything else that he's done when he's been superb. And that Leeds game was a a good example of Mm. him being excellent for about 90 minutes. And then obviously the The moment where he lost his head a bit at the end and was probably just about lucky to stay on the pitch because he didn't make contact with Patrick Bamford and if he kicked him properly then you know he would have found himself sent off and suspended for three matches which would have been a real problem for Arsenal. So Gabriel you know celebrated his contract signing with um, a really good performance at Southampton. I thought he was good, I thought he was one of the better players on the day and there weren't too many players who played well across the 90 but if you look at the way Southampton targeted Arsenal in terms of set pieces, throw-ins, uh, James Ward-Prowse fantastic delivery at corners. It was Gabriel who was getting his head on pretty much all of it. And, yeah, I agree with you. Saliba's not been at his best in the past couple of games. And he, I've noticed him sprinting a lot more, William Saliba, yeah. which I think is unusual for him. And obviously, football players have to sprint because, you know, that's the way it goes. But William Saliba is normally so composed and normally so in position and so able to read the game that you don't see him sort of – running at full speed ever you see him sort of just casually sauntering over to to deal with situations and sort of half spaces and he's he's looked a little bit more nervous and a little less sure of himself in the past couple of games and that's natural as a 21 year old that you're going to have up highs and lows in confidence I don't think he's gonna be dropped I'm not calling for him to be dropped or anything like that at all but I, I do think that there are there are sort of there's been a bit of a dip in his form and no in answer to your question going back to it gabrielle i don't think he is um the the weak point in this arsenal defense i don't think there are too many weak points in this Arsenal defense i think this Arsenal defense is really good yeah. i just think that um they they have to find a way to take their chances and if they've done that at the weekend we wouldn't even be talking about this so I, I think that's the the main issue for this Arsenal team right now is just profligacy in front of goal at the other end of the pitch in the defensive side of things they've been superb for most of the season
0: yeah i do agree with you it feels like ever since uh, as TC likes to say, Gabriel hit responded to my tweet when I said Gabriel has been a bit of a liability this season. He's imp- he's, he's impressed me. He's definitely proved me wrong. I think he's been solid ever since that North London derby, and long may it, long may it continue. And just on the sleeper chat, you're spot on with the seeing sleeper run. I think it was in the second half. I think it was Samuel Dozy. Uh, an amazing run and I was seeing Saliba sprint. I was thinking this is unusual to see in Saliba going in full strides on the pitch. I've not seen that before, which was interesting to see. But hopefully Saliba can regain his form against Nottingham Forest I think that is a good game for the players to really regroup and, and just get back to get back to New Ways. Of course, you have PSV before that. We'll speak about that towards the end of the end of the podcast. But just staying, as you know, moving away from the Premier League, Kai, moving away from Arsenal, even would you like to say temporarily, because we're gonna do a little little round, a little lone roundup chat here because on the weekend, a lot of Arsenal players had success. And I think it's only right we start with Nicola Pepe, Kaya. He scored a, a last-minute penalty to salvage a point for Nice. On the same same weekend, that Arsenal made substitutions against Southampton where Enketia was uh, instructed to play on the wing positions despite us having two wingers in Nelson and Marquinhos on the bench. With Pepe scoring in the same week, is that a, a little reminder of what we could have had maybe? Or is it just Pepe just being Pepe and scoring and, and then being benched the, the next week?
1: I think it's the latter of those things. I think Nicola Pepe is going to score penalties across the season. Yeah. He's fantastic at them. So I, I don't think we should necessarily be, every time Nicola Pepe scores a goal for Arsenal, using it as a stick to beat Mikel Arteta. With Arsenal won all but one of their games this season up until this weekend. So to have a go at them for letting Nicola Pepe go, in my opinion, feels ridiculously harsh. I know that's not what you were doing. I know you are just posing the question. Yeah, But um, no, I, I don't think we're sort of missing... Pepe. Maybe for these Europa League games, you could have played him in certain games. So, you know, look at Bodo Glimt, PSV, he probably would have been able to, to start those games, give Saka a rest. I don't actually think Saka was, he didn't look too tired and the whole Arteta thing about Saka he's been wanting to play 50, 60 games if he's going to become an elite player, I think is probably a fair point. And when Arsenal, if Arsenal are in the Champions League next season, then they're going to have to get used to this Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday kind of thing. It's going to be a, a massive part of their season. They can't have an excuse the first team's gonna to have to play in the Champions League and it's gonna to have to play at the weekend as well. So that's gonna become something they're gonna to have to deal with. Uh not too concerned about Nicola Pepe. I think if he's scoring goals, great because it, it adds extra zeros onto his price tag and that's all Arsenal can hope for from this loan move at Nice. They just have to hope he plays well, scores lots of goals and that one team is out there is is willing to pay a lot of money for him because his Arsenal career is over. He doesn't have a future at, at Arsenal and I think it's 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 probably for the best that he's scoring goals.
0: Yeah, definitely for the best indeed. And another goal scorer in Ligue 1, Kaya is is for Lauren Balogun. And interestingly, on Thursday night, Nketiah and Jesus died uh, at the same time. And for me, I felt like, oh, Balogun could potentially be in a s so There's a chance for Balogun to to, to be in an Arsenal squad here because when he was first loaned down and Nketiah signed a contract, I also I always believed that he was maybe more of an asset rather than a player. He could actually have a, a clear path. But with... The role change in certain in certain positions with Balogun scoring as well, it maybe gives a, a outlook that Balogun can, it can actually come back next season and potentially claim a spot in in Arsenal side. And that's how I feel anyway. I don't know about you. I see what you're
1: saying. I don't think Arteta plans to use Ince regularly as a as a winger. I actually asked him about it in the press conference after the PSV game. I said, "Why do you play Ince on the left?" Yeah. And he just said he wanted to change one thing instead of two, which is. A, there's a very Mikel Arteta answer in yeah, terms of the, amazing, but... being very straight to the point. But uh, you have to sort of extrapolate your own interpretation from that. And what I understood from it is that he, you know, tactically, it just made more sense to have um, the striker is used to playing through the middle. I was a bit confused by the decision to play him on the left. At the weekend, and are not playing in more of a two, like we mm. saw him do against Fulham when Arsenal were chasing the game then. And I thought that worked really well. And I, I didn't think it worked too well. This time around. So, yeah, I I don't know. Flo Balligan, I think, is a fantastic player and I'm I'm really excited to see him come back and hopefully do something at Arsenal. But I can't see him starting as a number nine anytime soon. As much as we've been talking about Jesus, Jesus's struggles in front of goal. Eddie Nketiah hasn't started a single Premier League game this season, even though, you know, Jesus hasn't always been banging them in and you know if he's not starting then you wonder would Balogun be starting and Balogun's played on the wing for Arsenal a few times and not looked at his best so for me I really like Flo Balogun I'd love for him to come back and be a success at Arsenal but I don't think Nketiah playing on the wing necessarily means that he's going to automatically have a pathway back into the team that's that's one we're going to have to keep an eye on into next summer and it'll be interesting to see what Arsenal do with him because it's a it's a, a fascinating Issue, if you can even call it that, because it's yeah. a nice problem for them to
0: have. Yeah, it's a nice problem. Maybe a Premier League loan next season will be the perfect next stage for his development, but we shall see. But kind of another player who I feel like has a more clear path is Charlie Patino. Now, of course, Charlie Patino scored against Blackpool's main rivals, Preston North End, on the weekend as they did come out winners. And Patino even has a little song from the Blackpool fans that is starting to go viral, which is excellent for Patino. He got rated by the Blackpool, because they're at nine out of ten rating for. Blackpool's win. He's really thriving in the Championship. Kaya, Patino, he's just waiting to be a Arsenal star, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I'd love to be able to repeat that uh, chant, but I don't think we can <laughs> on this show. But it's a very fun chant. Uh, yeah, we've got a long read coming out on Charlie Patino later yeah. this evening, so definitely want to keep an eye on. Uh, should be coming out around 6. So, hope you guys enjoy that. And, um, yeah, he's really doing well. It's, it's interesting with Patino. He's, he's developing on the pitch and people were a little bit concerned when he went you know would he be able to cope with that physical step up and i was talking to people in and around arsenal and in and around um sort of those kind of spheres and the, the the main thing they were saying was technically he's superb and there's no concerns about that but you know he's six foot one i think but he's quite slender and will he be able to deal with that step up to the championship that physicality the robustness and or do you want to Protect him, and there's there's different ways to develop players. Um, Phil Foden, for example, there was loads of calls for him to go out on loan, Manchester City. Pep Guardiola kept him, and look at the player he's turned into. Whereas other players need to go out on loan quite a few times. When Mill Smith Rowe is a good example, where he was at Huddersfield, out at Leipzig, and did well. Uh, well, did well at Huddersfield, and came back, and it worked really well for him. So, yeah, it's. I think he Charlie Patino is doing well. I think you can you can see the levels he's going to. Um, he's becoming a more complete midfielder. He's playing in an eight position rather than the six. He's playing earlier in the season, and I think that's that's benefiting him because he can influence the play a lot more in the opposition half. Obviously, the goal and the assist at the weekend was superb, but I think he leads the championship when it comes to opposition half recoveries, so winning the ball back in the opposition half uh, per 90. So that's a very impressive statistic, and that shows the, the kind of player he's becoming. I've been speaking to people up in Blackpool, who tell me they're really impressed by the fact that he's willing to get involved with the fight. He's willing to get involved in the scrap. And the Blackpool fans, you mentioned the chart there, they love him. And the reason they love him, obviously, is what he's doing on the pitch. But I think another thing is how he's ingratiated himself into their local community. So he's he's up there living on his own, which at 19 is quite difficult for the first time. And he's dealing with that well. And I think he is someone who, from speaking to people, he's been, they've been telling me that he's sort of, sometimes goes into the supporter bars and sort of says hello to people. He's not afraid to stop and have a chat on the street. And I think people really like that about him. He's very approachable, very humble and yeah, people seem to be loving him. And, you know, the Arsenal fans obviously already love him. They were singing. They had a chant for him ready to go before he even came on the pitch at the Emirates for his debut. But I think now the rest of the footballing world is starting to see why he's such an exciting prospect. And it's interesting to see what Arsenal do with him because he's out of contract at the end of the season. Um, Arsenal do obviously have a, the option to trigger a two-year extension, but you'd think they'd want to probably negotiate maybe some fresh terms and try and entice him to stay a little bit more. And he's got interest from clubs across Europe, across the country, and he's Spanish, so he could go and play in Europe without too. Ma- he's sorry, got a Spanish passport, so he can go and play in Europe without too many problems. And those are things that are, have to be factored in. And if I was in charge of the Arsenal recruitment, I'd be I'd be moving fast to try and tie him down. And I think. He is very open to staying at Arsenal. But um, that's definitely something that Arsenal wants to get sorted quickly because if he continues to impress on loan, then yeah, losing him for free at the end of the season would look like a real tragedy. And I don't think that's going to happen. But um, it's definitely something that Arsenal do need to address pretty quickly. They've got a lot of contract stuff to do at the minute. Yeah.
0: A lot of contract stuff. Well, I was thinking, or I can just envisage, um, I remember in 20, I think it was the 2012-13 season when Wenger had the British core, and I think it was Cole Jenkinson, Give Chamberlain Walcott, Jenkinson. I just imagine Saliba, Martinelli, uh, Bukayo Saka, uh, maybe patina or someone just there, just as a as a as a as a repeat of that. That'll just be perfect if that did happen. But maybe maybe I'm dreaming too much for that. But It'll we shan- outcomes To
1: be a little bit better than it was for those fives career, though.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely, oh. <laughs> definitely, because it don't go too well in the end. But yeah, hopefully better fortunes this time if that ever did happen. But okay, I'm just looking forward. To Ahead. next, let's say Charlie Pitino is in the team and Arsenal do qualify for the Champions League. I feel like the top four race is going to get harder and harder each year, Kai. And I think that was proven over the weekend with the emergence of Newcastle United. Now, Newcastle, of course, they've done us a favour, Arsenal drew, but our mood was lifted when they beat uh, Tottenham, of course, 2-1 away from home. And I think it showed Newcastle are a real force to, to, to be reckoned with. Now, they've played Manchester United, they've played Manchester City. They unluckily lost to Liverpool. And now of those games, they've only lost once and they didn't have their strongest team either against Newcastle yesterday without Alexander Izakos, Alan saint Maximan. Kai, are we re- are we witnessing a team building here for the future and a team Arsenal should be worried about when qualifying for, for the top four?
1: I think so. I think Newcastle, are, they're playing sustainable football. They're playing in a way that works really well for them. <clears throat> it was interesting when when, obviously, the new owners came in and the Saudis came in, we all wondered, would they just splash the cash stupidly as we've seen teams with lots of money do in the past and then they went out and signed players like Kieran Trippier which made loads of sense and I think the the whole footballing world sort of had this collectively like oh god that feeling because it looks like Newcastle are doing it right and that is quite annoying because it means that they're gonna get to where they're inevitably going quicker than most of us were probably hoping they would and that is, yeah, that makes things a lot more difficult at the top of the Premier League. They can spend a lot of money. They have spent a lot of money. Players like Bruno Guimaraes have been fantastic additions to their squad. You mentioned Isak. They already had players like Sam Maximan. So they're doing really well. And I think you do need to worry about them. When you're looking at the fixture list, another team to add to the list, when you sort of you look for the big games, so you look at big six teams, you know, where are United, when do Arsenal play Spurs, when do they play Chelsea, Liverpool City, etc. Newcastle is slowly edging themselves onto that. list and I think it's very open for those those, those third and fourth spots at the minute because Arsenal and City are probably a little bit further ahead right now but if you look back Chelsea, United, Spurs even beyond that, West Ham a long way back this season, none of them are really making a convincing claim for that top four spot they're all sort of faltering a little bit but Newcastle keep on trundling on and you mentioned the fact they've only lost once all season and that was in the 98th minute in Liverpool so they're they're looking really good, and I think they're definitely a team to to keep an eye on, and that's a, another threat for Arsenal to have to deal with in the in the Premier League. And another thing worth remembering is that even if they do get top four this season, Arsenal, that's no guarantee they'll automatically qualify next season. That the, the project doesn't stop; you have to keep getting better and evolving and evolving. And yeah, the Premier League is the most competitive league in the world for sure. And I think we're seeing that with teams like Newcastle rising up
0: to the top. Absolutely, because we've had competitors in the past, West Ham. Leicester for example but I don't think they had the financial strength to actually stay on that level but Newcastle is a completely different beast we're, we're dealing with here and yeah they are progressing quicker than we expected and as you mentioned I think their their transfer business has been spot on really and now they're progressing really quickly which Arsenal are going to have to look off over their shoulders a little bit because Newcastle are certainly on their way there but not just yet as you said Arsenal managed to see currently hold the top of the table so we can only look up as it stands. I know we're talking Champions League talk, Kaya, but it's only right we're in the Europa League this season, so we stick with Europa League chat and, of course, on Thursday, we do travel to and I believe you are going to be there as well going to the game. So when you're at the game, Kaya, do you expect to see a lot of rotation or do you want to see a lot of rotation considering how leggy we did look, which we agree on uh, on Sunday?
1: What I want to see and what I expect to see are two very different things. I'd love to see Arsenal rotate as much as possible, but I, I don't think they will. I think Mikel Arteta wants to get that uh, top spot secured and the passage to the round of 16 immediately secured. And then, you know, maybe we'll look at some youngsters coming into the team for the, the home game against Zurich, which, you know, Zurich have been the whipping boys of the group. They're, that's a game that Arsenal should be winning, even with the, the youngsters playing. So I think he'll go relatively strong. I think we could see Saka start again. I think we could see, uh, well, I probably won't see Jesus start again. I think he'll get rested. I think we'll see Nketiah play. Maybe Reese Nelson will come in, a bit of rotation, but I think we could see Granit Xhaka play again. Mars Odegaard could play again. Uh, if you are looking at the back, Tommy Assi, Ben White, etc., they could play again. Gabriel might play again. So in terms of rotation Arsenal can make, there's not that much they can do different. Maybe you bring in Cedric for his first minutes of the season. I don't think Arteta really trusts, as you mentioned earlier, Nelson and Marquinhos at the minute to be starting. Although I do think Rich Nelson might come in on the left wing. So, yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. I think I'd love for there to be a lot of changes because, I, as we've been saying at the start, I think Arsenal are a bit leggy and they could do with a little bit of a rest. But, you know, we'll have to see. I, I don't know if he will. I think Mikel Arteta is taking these Europa League games seriously because he wants to win the competition and he wants to also reduce the number of games that Arsenal have to play in the second half of the season, which is, of course, a big part. But I think he wants to win. And, yeah, that's going to be a big part of things.
0: Absolutely, Arsenal currently lead the Group A by five points. So, a win would all but secure uh, top, spot, top spot for the Gunners. And Kyoy playing against PSV. Now, there's a lot of chat in the summer. Cody Gappo was linked to the Gunners. Now, of course, he played his first game at the Emirates. Maybe a first of, for many, first of many. Sorry uh, to come in the future. Now, I know our colleague at Football to London, Tom Canter, did speak to him after the game. But Kyle, just on the game, Arsenal fans wasn't impressed. With his performance. I think uh, he was kind of quiet. It uh, was expected with the way Arsenal dominated possession, but over these two games, can you really uh, assess if Cody Gakpo is the right player for Arsenal? So if he has a, a much better game in Eindhoven, would you, would you think it would give Arsenal more of an incentive to, to potentially chase a deal?
1: Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, Cody Gakpo is a player who has, has got numbers that are absolutely fantastic in Holland. 13 goals, 11 assists. Yeah. I don't know if he did more over the weekend. But those are superb numbers, and you can't, you know, just ignore those or toss them aside. But there's always sort of an area busy tax, isn't there, when players come from Holland, and there's always a bit of a gamble. You might get a Van Nesteroy, you might get a Vincent Janssen. You don't know which one it's going to be, and that's that's the risk that you run by bringing players over from Holland. Uh, I do think that he was disappointing on Thursday, but I think the way PSV played was a big part of that. I think they didn't come forward at all. They counterattacked attacked a few times, but I think they... they need to be a bit more expansive and I wonder when they're at home if they might come out and attack a bit more knowing that they need the win I wonder if they'll just go for it a little bit more and that maybe we'll see the best of Gakpo then but no I didn't see a lot from him to suggest that Arsenal should be spending big money on him and you'd imagine it would be big money because he signed a new contract pretty recently yeah. at PSV he's scoring all these goals there'll be plenty of teams interested I think Leeds and was it Aston Miller or Newcastle maybe mm-hmm. that he said yeah. were both interested uh, so yeah plenty of teams will be after him and you know if if he's going to make his play for a move to the Premier League or wherever, then Thursday night is going to be a big thing for him.
0: Absolutely. We shall see how Cody Gappo does. Hopefully not too well as Arsenal do need to top the group. So a good performance, but not a goal-scoring performance. Maybe that would be what Arsenal do need. But we are coming towards the end of the show, kind. as we do in every podcast, I know the, the PS3 game is a couple of days away, but by the time this does come out, it'll be, it'll be closer. So it's only right I get the score, prediction for the game against PSV? Yes, it is that time of the show, so I'm going to ask your score prediction for the game.
1: I hate score predictions. I hate <laughs> doing them this far in advance even more. <laughs> uh, let's say one-all. I think Arsenal will, will struggle to get a win out of Ninhove, I think they're a really good team and the rotations I think could be a problem and the fact that PSV really need the win and Arsenal don't need it as much, I think will be a, a big factor. So one-all I'm going to go for.
0: OK, yeah, I, do, I agree with you. I'm going to go with a nil-nil draw. I just don't think there'll be a, a goal in the game. We almost saw a nil-nil, of course, on Thursday. I just think... A lovely we'll message use... to
1: the travelling fans that they're going all the way uh, up to Hotspur. Hey guys, look. superb nil uh,
0: The positive message will be, look, we top the group. That's what matters. As long as we top the group, it's worth travelling to Eindhoven. I heard Eindhoven is a beautiful, beautiful place as well. So, of course, they can see the beautiful scenery uh, uh, instead of the nil-nil, instead of the nil-nil picture. But we shall see what happens. We are going to end the podcast there though. Kaya's always made thank you for jumping on. Have you got anything coming out that uh, that the viewers here should be should be looking out for? Uh,
1: the Patino long read uh, would also yeah so that's six I think it's coming out tonight so definitely keep an eye on that. I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you all. We're doing a and a right now which I put on my Twitter and it's on the FL Twitter as well I think if I'm not mistaken. So get involved there get your questions in we'll try and answer as many of them as possible and um, yeah coverage of PSV flying out to Holland on Wednesday looking forward to that. So Keep an eye on the football on the website for all the all the updates. Bailey's bringing you 21 stuff as well. So yeah, it's going to be a good good few weeks before the World Cup. We've got plenty of exciting stuff still to come.
0: Absolutely, a good few weeks indeed. Hopefully, more wins on the board for the Gunners as well for the young Gunners as well. We shall see, though, so guys. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like podcast make sure to drop a like of course subscribe to the channel leave your comments below as well and what do you think on Arsenal's rotation ahead of PSV should Arsenal rotate heavily is there a problem with Gabriel Jesus is he struggling should Enketia be given more of a chance so what do you think of the Arsenal's lone army does Pepe have a future Arsenal does Petino uh, have a future Arsenal please let us know guys thank you for tuning in it has been a view from the clock end podcast make sure you keep following us down the Arsenal way